Good morning. Let's read from Habakkuk chapter 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and they scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And then chapter 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give this complaint. This is the Lord's word. Good morning. My name is Renata. Uh, we have four kids, and we're from Canada, which is not America. If it <laughs> and all the Canadians said, no, amen, just kidding. That's a joke. Uh, I come from a Pentecostal background, so I actually need to hold the mic in my hand in case I need to move around a bit. Wow, this passage, it really has... So many things to say to us this morning, and uh, Habakkuk, as the prophet, is perplexed by what the Lord is doing, or in his mind, maybe not doing. Uh, you know, as a church, we've really been enjoying this series on the Old Testament prophets, and we've heard so many different stories about, uh, about these people, and we've been asked, what is a prophet, and what does a prophet do? 
What are the experience of a prophet? Can I prophesy? Looking at today's scripture, we see another prophet who is so perplexed by what God is doing, or maybe he perceives it as what God is not doing. So Habakkuk is uh, a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, within his writings, he predicts the coming of the invasion of the Babylonians. And uh, Habakkuk is so unique because he's not actually writing to the Israelites, but rather it's a dialogue between him and the Lord and what God will say to him. Habakkuk actually argues with God over his ways. And at minimum, these ways appear unfathomable, and at maximum, they actually appear unjust. He asks God, how can you, as a just, faithful, loving, holy God, ignore the evil that is surrounding your own people? It's actually pervading the people of God. So the Israelites were this society that were completely permeated by godliness, godlessness and injustice. And despite being called as the people of God, they did nothing with their actions to show this selection. And that is what perplexed Habakkuk and continues to perplex the people of God today. How does God allow this kind of behavior that's totally contrary to his nature? I, I love it when God perplexes me, especially as I'm preparing a sermon on such a topic. Uh, this week, oh no, sorry. Okay, there. <laughs> this week, a situation happened at work, and I've just been so perplexed by it, I keep thinking about it. Uh, I work for an organization called Village of Hope, and uh, we care for orphans and vulnerable children. So there's a children's home in Area 43 as well. Uh, we have a community-based orphan care program at Kauma, just sort of behind Area 10. Now, I ha there's a certain Congolese lady from the DRC, and her name is Vivienne. And Vivienne visits Village of Hope often. She comes, she brings donations like food and clothing and other household items, as well as kamba and sweets for the kids. And she's been doing this very faithfully for a while. And uh, she's even been encouraging her own son to do the same thing. And he does likewise and brings household items for the kids. It's amazing. Now, Vivienne has a very good friend from Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. And this friend is called Christine. Christine has also been coming to Village of Hope, bringing items, bringing donations, spending time with the kids. Now, we use these items in all different ways in both the programs. But Christine is married to a European man, and he's working here in Malawi. Vivienne is married to someone who's working here in Malawi as well. Uh, now, up until this week, that's all I knew about these ladies, that they were kind-hearted and gentle and loving, wanting to bring things to bless these kids. And then I got the rest of the story. <laughs> So as Vivienne has been donating things and bringing things, she actually encouraged her friend to do the same thing. Now, Christine has two very deep secrets. She has been suffering with that terrible, painful affliction. Christine, although she has the money and the resources and the medicine, the fertility treatment, everything she needs, she's never been able to bear a child. So for 10 years of marriage, she has not had a child. 
Undoubtedly, she's bore the stigma of what childlessness means, the pain in her heart. Who knows, she might even have suffered the loss of life within her own womb. That was Christine's first secret, and it, it, it's, it is a holy one that she was holding close to her heart. But the second secret is tied also to this one. Her friend, Vivian, the one from DRC, comes regularly to Village of Hope, knows about Christine's secret. She knew the deep pain of Christine's heart that can almost not be put into words unless you've understood it and experienced it yourself. Vivienne enjoys all the privileges of motherhood. She has three kids. They're 17, 19, and 21. Those, that's her privilege of motherhood, but she has also experienced that wonder of motherhood where she, she was in her twilight years of childbearing and God saw fit to bring one more along the way. So along with these grown kids, she has a little four-year-old. Vivian sees this pain and complexity faced by her friend Christine and gave her a piece of advice. She said, if you want to have a child, you need to start giving donations to Village of Hope. God will hear your prayer and he will give you a child. And so that's what Christine did. She started bringing items and uh, developing friendships with the children and has even asked about volunteering on a full-time basis. So this past week, Vivienne from the DRC came again to Village of Hope with all kinds of beautiful Congolese dresses to donate to the mothers that care full-time for the kids. And she shared this. She shared that God did hear Christine's prayer and that at this very moment, Christine is actually in Europe preparing to give birth to a child. Boom. Where's Pastor Humphreys? <laughs> now... <laughs> I got to tell you, that messes with my theology. You know, that perplexes me because I don't understand it. You know, is God some sort of safe that we have in the wall? And if you just put in the right combination, you can open the door and his treasure is available for anyone? Does it mean that all we have to do is follow this perfect formula and God will bless it? I don't know. But maybe it means that God's heart is close to the fatherless and the childless. And maybe it means that when you give, it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Maybe it means that when you meet the needs of others, God will meet your needs. It might even mean if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. I've been thinking about this all week. I even shared it on Wednesday at our growth group because I just can't stop. I'm perplexed by it because everything I know says that you can't just, God is not an ATM machine where you put something in and pull something out and you get what you want, right? So as the prophet Habakkuk, I am perplexed about the mystery and I can't understand him because he is unfathomable. Now let's, let's look at our passage today. I want to share a few things from this chapter. The first thing we see is a continuous cry. In verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk, he's not asking once. He's not asking twice. But indeed, his voice has gone up repeatedly before the Lord as he makes his request known. And the reason we know that, he's already tired. By verse 1 and 2, he's like, how much longer? He's exhausted. 
we see that this prophet yearns for God to answer. He asks, how long? Which means it's not the first time. Indeed, he's been asking for a while, and he wants to know of the Lord, when will you answer? How much more time is it going to take? You can, we have this sense in his asking that he's already exasperated. He's already tired of about, about it. Deep within his soul, he's full of angst, and he asks the Lord, how long will I keep asking without you hearing me? So here the, the prophet lives in a state of not being answered, but he also lives in the constant tension of God's character, of who he knows God to be, but also his present circumstance. We can see that Habakkuk had deep spiritual longings. He had a very high view of God and his holiness. He understood the basic importance of God's moral standards for humanity, but especially the people of Israel. And that is what perplexed him. It's so difficult for him to understand how could a good and loving God allow such sin to exist among his own people who were actually supposed to be reflecting his very character. And in verse 2, he cries out, violence, and yet God does not save. He goes on to declare that God makes him look upon wickedness. He makes him look at destruction. He makes him look at violence. These things are always in front of him, strife and contention seem to just be the order of the day among the people of God. And this prophet, with terror in his heart, declares that the law is actually ignored and justice is never upheld. He declares that the wicked are surrounding the righteous and justice comes out perverted. Our church as a, as a body had given toward an effort at Maula Prison last year. And I remember Charles was here explaining to us about two, a particular prisoner that he had a relationship with who was actually imprisoned, uh, wrongfully imprisoned. And another prisoner had been arrested and brought into jail, and that one confessed to doing the crime of this first one. I was so perplexed by that situation, and I remember Charles said, you know, we're trying to see what can be done in this situation, but basically this first prisoner was told, sorry. Zovuta, like we can't really do very much about it. Zimachitika, let's just wait and see what happens. Maybe God will help you, or maybe you just finish the 10 year sentence. We don't know. And I remember thinking about justice and how, you know, and here Habakkuk, he is longing for that justice to be, to be holy and to be righteous the way that it should be. We see next that the prophet reminds God of his nature and of his promise. He wanted God to remember the law. Isn't that kind of funny? Like he wanted the writer of the law to remember what it said. In pointing out this destruction around him, God is actually telling him, this situation that we are in is unacceptable because of who you are. Justice is being compromised. Evil people are oppressing They're surrounding the righteous. The people of Israel are actually perverting the very community that was was set apart by God himself. And still God seems silent. The prophet, he wants God to answer. He reminds him of who he is, who he is supposed to be, a God who responds, a God who answers, a God who saves, and a God who cares about justice. But it feels so hopeless at the end of verse 4. 
And then suddenly in verse 5, we hear, you know, my Bible has those little quotation marks and it's God responding. And it's, it's as though, you know, Habakkuk is complaining and unhappy with the situation and God intervenes and he says, look at the nations. His, the prophet's mournful lament is interrupted by the voice of God himself, but he has something to, dis, to explain and it's a difficult display of this coming judgment. In verse 5, he tells Habakkuk, look all over the world, be astonished, be full of wonder, because I am doing something. I am doing something. But even if I had told you, you wouldn't have believed me. God answers his people in unexpected ways. Has anyone ever had a prayer answered in an unexpected way? You know, maybe the Lord used a hard circumstance or a person that you didn't really like. And Habakkuk is hearing from the Lord that this is what he does. God does lament over the sin and the wickedness of the people of Israel, and he will answer. But the Lord tells Habakkuk, I am doing something, and guess what? Even if I did tell you, you wouldn't believe it anyway. How, how, who's, who hears their own <laughs> conscience in that verse? I know I hear myself. Many of us have been here before. We cry out to God for an answer. When if we really knew or if we could really understand what God was going to do, our weak faith would actually stop us from believing it. God allows justice to come through different sources. In this case, his justice would actually come through the enemy of Israel. He would take them, they would take them captive, pillage their fortresses, destroy everything within their wake with unforeseen violence. Just. That's God being just in this situation. The sin of Israel could not go unpunished. It would just be dealt with in a different way than expected. Habakkuk wanted God to maybe come down in the temple with a fire. If you can just give them a sign and let them know that you are here and that you're going to deal with it, that would be great. But please, this kind of destructive action, maybe it's, it's a little excessive, but the temple, like let fire cloud by cloud by day fire by night got any of that <laughs> both the babylonians and the israelites would be punished in this action the injustice and the evil and the sin cannot go unpunished but it's really this is really the point of reassurance for habakkuk his groaning his crying out before the lord has not been wasted his longing for righteousness will be fulfilled and after God speaks so plainly to Habakkuk, the prophet realizes. He replies, and he understands there is a resolution in the reaping. In verse 12, let's just look there together. The prophet recognizes that judgment comes from the Lord. In fact, not only does it come from the Lord, but it's been appointed by the Lord. He knows that the Lord cannot stand the sight of evil. He can't look upon wickedness. He understands that sin and holiness cannot combine. These two things cannot live together. You know, uh, Habakkuk, he's kind of a funny guy, right? In the first few verses, he's full of despair and just complaining before the Lord. And then here, verse 13 we know someone like this guy, you know, this person who speaks and you can't figure out 
are we speaking two different languages or it's just the way this person is? So in Canada, we have two national languages, French and English. My husband and I come from um, the English-speaking part, and we have a friend who's from the French-speaking part. And I'm not kidding you, every time we have an interaction with this person, we always go away wondering what just happened. Because of the way he t he'll say something, and you know, even if we're both speaking French or both speaking English, it's like we're not getting it. Um, and Habakkuk, you know, he says to God, well, I know you can't look with favor upon wickedness, but why do you give favor to those who are treacherous? You know, one of the things I'm learning about is this beautiful way of communicating indirectly. I'm not good at it. See? <laughs> uh, I'm trying so hard to learn how to do it, and it's a struggle for me, but my husband Jeff is a master at it. It's so easy for him. He was good at it before, and, and now in the last couple years, he's become better at it. So we have four children, and one night at dinner, the kids were eating sausages, and our youngest daughter, Daphne, started to choke on this piece of meat. You know, she's our third kid, so it's like, all right, choke it out. You'll be fine. You know, a few back slaps and some water, and she was fine. So the next night, again, I'm preparing dinner, and we had some of those sausages remaining, and uh, I was preparing the kids' foods, food plates, and Jeff said, do you need any help getting the kids' food ready? And I was like, uh, no. I'm pretty good at getting four plates of food ready. You know, I can handle this, and I, I went on with my preparations, and suddenly I turned around and I said, wait, is that your way of saying I should cut up Daphne's food into smaller pieces? And everyone said, amen. I, like, it took me that time for him to leave the room and I have, I have to think about it. And I'm like, oh, he was being indirect. <laughs> and you know, this is Habakkuk. He's saying to God, I know you can't look with favor upon wickedness, but why do you look with favor upon those who deal treacherously? And treachery in the Bible is wicked. So this incompatibility of sin and holiness, it's so hard for Habakkuk to reconcile because he knows God's nature. Finally, the prophet asks, how much longer? How much longer will the Lord look away? For how much more time will he be watching such sinful activity? <clears throat> will it continue forever? Or is there an end in sight? You know, the wicked seem to have everything they need. Looking in those verses, where is it? From 5 to 11. You know, they have everything that they need just to continue with their evil doing. They've got all the tools, all the strategies, all the plans. They're ready. <clears throat> A quick read through any news site or newspaper leaves me asking how much longer can this go on? How many more people will drown in their attempts to reach Europe? How many more young women will be trafficked and sold? How many more children in the Horn of Africa will have to starve to death before the world wakes up out of its selfish slumber? How much longer can that war in Syria actually continue? Habakkuk asks God, will the nations continually be slain without sparing? Do you know what the answer is? 
He asks, but he does not get the answer right away. The prophet finds himself at a watchful wait. Chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read that together. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give this complaint. In the moment of this desperate asking, the prophet readies himself for the answer. He readies himself to hear from the Lord. He doesn't just go home or go back to the, go to the temple or maybe pass by and visit a friend. He actually physically readies himself upon the city walls. He's watching and waiting for the Lord himself to answer. And, you know, the, 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 these old cities with the walls around them, he's actually in a position as a guard, one who's looking out expectantly to see not only the threat, but also the relief that will come. The prophet knows that God will reply. He waits in expectancy, and he's not there to waste time, but he's actually looking with a knowledge deep in his soul that he knows who his God is. He knows his God will answer, and he's ready for that answer. He's prepared himself to see it, to be the first one to see it coming in the distance. Alongside of his expectant waiting, the prophet also expects God's discipline. He is well aware that the things he's been asking, the way that he's been asking, the way he's been complaining, and mothers, the way he's been whining, will require discipline. But more than that, the prophet is ready himself for what he will say to God. He's ready to give an answer to the Lord when he does come. Habakkuk gives us a difficult message this morning, but I know I can relate to it, and I'm sure many of us in here can as well. So I have three questions I'd like for you to consider. What things in your life is God using to correct you? Is it another person? Is it your boss? Is it your studies or your parents or even our pastor? Don't ignore them. Don't try to shake them off or push them away. The Lord is using those things in your life to bring about the work that he wants to do in your heart. Number two, what areas in your life need to be judged and submitted to our holy God. Maybe there's some things that you've let slide for a while. Maybe you've been on this path of sin for quite some time, just like the Israelites, just going down and knowing who God is, knowing that you are his child, but still ignoring what he wants you to do about it. Finally, have you placed yourself in a position to hear from him? I want to say make yourself ready. Don't wait. He's right here. He's here today. He wants to answer you. He wants to speak to you. He's got something that he wants to, to give to you right into your heart so that you can be changed and glorify him with your, with your life and with your act of worship. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you discipline us 
even when we don't know that we need it. I thank you that you never stop pursuing us. I thank you that you are faithful through all of our weaknesses. You are strong in all of our times when we can't do, do it ourselves. Lord, we need you more and more every day. God, I pray for every person in here this morning. I pray that you would bind the brokenhearted. I pray that you would set the captive free. I pray that you would bring every sort of freedom that we all need here today from the, from the binds that hold us down. I pray these things in your precious and mighty name. Amen.